So Jonah chapter 4, but Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Have you any right to be angry? Jonah went out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a vine and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the vine. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the vine so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I am angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine. Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Wonderful. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us now through your word and by your Holy Spirit. Lead us to the feet of Jesus, who we worship here today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we've reached now the end of the final passage in our journey through Jonah this Lent. And I think we've reached the part of the account of Jonah that not that many people realize is even there. If you ask about Jonah, obviously you get the fish, the whale, and then if you pushed a little bit harder, I think you'd get the God asks him to go this way and then he runs that way instead. And this is probably the chapter that's the least explored with a vine and a worm and a scorching wind and Jonah in a bit of a tantrum with God. And that's what we're going to explore today, rounding off this full account of this unusual prophetic book by working our way through Jonah 4. So by way of context, Jonah has warned this city of Nineveh who didn't know God that destruction was going to come unless they changed their ways. And even though he wasn't expecting it, they did change their ways. They repented, they fasted, they put on sackcloth to show how they were mourning their rebellion against God. And God relented he heard their cry and he saw their change of heart and he said, okay, I won't destroy them. I'll give them another chance. Mercy, as I've said, is the central theme throughout Jonah's book. And mercy is undeserved forgiveness. It's God's kindness to us. It's God wiping the slate clean. And that's what God showed to Nineveh in compassion and kindness at the end of chapter 3. And at the very first verse of chapter 4, we get to see what Jonah thought of it. Jonah was not pleased at all. He was angry instead at God and God being kind to people who Jonah didn't think he should have been kind to. 
Jonah becomes angry with God. He's indignant. He's spitting feathers because he can't believe that God has been kind to a people like them. Remember Jonah, this nationalistic figure who thought his people were right and those people were wrong. He'd been following God dutifully. They were violent and wicked and evil. But let's also remember that a few chapters earlier, Jonah had been asked to do something by God and instead he'd done the exact opposite. And yet in God's mercy, he'd swallowed him up in this fish, given him a moment to think, saved him from the beasts of the sea, and then spat him back out onto dry land so that he could make right what he hadn't got right first off. Jonah was really happy to receive God's mercy for himself, to receive another go for himself, to make right what he'd got wrong initially himself. But it was one rule for Jonah, obviously, and another rule for those people over there. Because they don't deserve the mercy. I deserve it, of course, because my mistake was innocent. But they're wicked and evil. They don't deserve it, God. And so instead, I'm going to get really, really angry with you. It's fine for God to show Jonah mercy, he believes. But he shouldn't show them mercy, those different, those other than me. And yet through his anger, through this tantrum that Jonah engages in with God, how does God react? Well, he stays close. He stays engaged. And I think what he's doing is asking questions because he's trying to teach Jonah something through this. God doesn't fly off the handle with him. God doesn't say, come on, Jonah, what on earth are you playing out of my presence? God says, what right really have you got to be angry? And I don't think he's telling him off. I don't think he's rebuking him there outright. I think he's giving him another opportunity. What am I trying to teach you through this? What's this whole account been about, Jonah? Might we learn a lesson here that we could take into the rest of our life? And unfortunately, it doesn't seem anyway like Jonah did. But isn't it fascinating and isn't it good news for us that God engages with us through the ups and downs of life? And he wants to teach us things through them. Jonah then wants to get out of this city that he really hates. And so he goes out to the east of the city and puts up a a shelter of some sort. Presumably he's put it together quite last minute. He's grabbed together whatever resources he could. And so it's probably not the best shelter you've ever seen. And so in the heat of the day, when this vine grows miraculously quickly, covers over him and gives him shade, Jonah goes, ah, brilliant. He breathes out and he rests on a hot day and says, brilliant, there's some shade for me to enjoy. So then when the next morning the worm destroys the plant, the shade goes and he's out there in the heat of the day again, Jonah's anger returns with a vengeance. And Jonah thinks that he's justified in his anger towards God because of it. God reminds him, well, Jonah, did did you plant the seed for that? Oh, no. Did you water the seed to make that grow? No. Did you tend to the plant? No. So you, you just sat there, Jonah, and received this expression of my kindness, my compassion, and my mercy to you. If we were to zoom out a sec, did you provide the seed or the land in which it could grow? Oh, no, that was, that was me again. Jonah's happy to receive, to benefit, to be blessed by all that God's doing. And then he's angry when he doesn't get it because for him it's become a right. He's entitled to it, surely. And he doesn't see that it's all a gift. It's all gift that comes from a loving God. And God, through this, shows him, 
You're angry because one plant withered and you were hot in the day. I'm angry that you're annoyed that my message should go to a city of 120,000 people and many animals who don't currently know me. We've spoken through this series and see here again that, that life with Jesus is eternal life. And life without Jesus is an eternal death. And all God is saying is, I want them to know about it. 120,000 people there haven't heard about me. And I want to give them another chance to turn towards me. And you've been part of that, and yet you're angry that they said yes. You wanted them to continue in their violence, apparently. You wanted them to be cut off from me forever. And God says, my heart is towards them, just as it was towards you in giving you the gift of that vine. You didn't deserve it then. They don't deserve it now, but that's who I am. Merciful and kind and compassionate God. And there, this sad chapter kind of fizzles to an end. It doesn't come to a conclusion. We don't really know how Jonah responds. We don't know how the Ninevites go on in faith. It just peters out to an ending. I hope, beyond hope, that Jonah heard this message realized where he'd got it wrong and changed his ways. I hope beyond hope that Nineveh became a city of great worship as 120,000 people realized there was a God who was on their side and that they could turn from their wicked ways and towards him. But the reality is that we don't really know. What we can know is what we will do off the back of this story. How will we respond to God's mercy being presented to us again? I said right at the beginning of this series that one of the central questions of this book is who gets God's mercy? Jonah's really happy, as I've already said, to receive it for himself. But he's not very happy that people who he doesn't like, who he doesn't think are deserving, would receive God's kindness too. Jonah, who's trying to follow God, who knows him already, is happy to get it himself even though he disobeys, even though he turns away. Even though he's hard of heart to believe that these people might respond to God, he's happy to receive God's mercy himself. But he's unhappy that people that he disapproves of, people who don't look like him or think like him or vote like him or see the world in the way that he does, people who come from a different place, who've got a different way of seeing the world, different culture, he's unhappy that they would receive God's mercy too. One rule for him and another rule for them. One of the great readings at Easter says that all of us, like sheep, have gone astray, each of us turning to our own way. We've all messed up in big ways or small ways, one-off or persistently. We've all done things that hurt other people, hurt ourselves, and hurt God. We've all got something against our name, a record that we can't erase ourselves. And mercy comes in and says, if you'll come to me, I'll blot that out. I'll take that punishment on myself. I'll forgive your record, wipe it clean, and give you an opportunity to go again. So often we try and clean ourselves up, don't we? We get into a mess and we think, I know, I'll be able to get out of this more ably on my own than I could if I turned to God. Because if I turn to God, I've got to humble myself and admit that I'm powerless really in this struggle. 
We get ourselves into a mess and then we think we can get ourselves out. But in trying to get ourselves out, we just make it worse. I woke up this morning to the sound of rustling, which is always a bit of an ominous sign to wake up to, sound to wake up to rather. I could hear something rustling somewhere else in the house and didn't really know what was going on. And when I eventually got up and went downstairs, I was in the kitchen making it a drink. And into the kitchen wanders our little cat, Bertie, who'd in the night somehow managed to get his head stuck in the handle of a carrier bag. He'd been exploring or playing or investigating and he'd managed to get his head in and obviously he couldn't get himself out. And so for the rest of the night, he's been wandering around the house with this plastic bag in tow. That was this crinkling sound that I woke up to and into the kitchen he comes towards me with this Tesco bag attached to his head looking a bit sorry for himself. And really, we might like to think that we're much different than that, but I don't think we are. We all get ourselves into messes. We all get trapped in ways that we didn't expect to. We all make mistakes that we really wish we wouldn't. And in that moment, what did I do? I knelt down, got at his level, took the bag off his head very gently, made sure it wasn't going to hurt him, that he was okay, and then set it on the side, gave him a cuddle, and then sent him on his way. And God isn't that different to that, I think. He sees the messes that we get into. He sees the pain that we cause ourselves. He sees that if we try and get out of it ourselves, we'll probably make it worse and just get even more tightly entangled. So he comes down to our level, makes himself human in the form of Jesus. He shows us how to get out of it by coming to him and saying help. And he takes this weight, this sin off of us and allows us to walk onwards free. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. All of us have got ourselves into messes that we can't get ourselves out of. And God's offer is mercy. When we come to him stuck and say help, God's kindness comes to us and frees us from that, allows us to walk free. Because God is rich in mercy, full of compassion, slow to anger, and of great love. He sees our mess and stays all of those things. He sees that we're stuck. We're down a pit that's too tall for us to climb out of. We've got things stuck to us that we can't remove. And he says, I'll send Jesus to pull you out of the pit, to free you from what's trapping you, to show you mercy again. If all you'll do is come to me and say, help. God's mercy, that same mercy is available for each of us here today. Maybe you've never heard of a God who thinks this about you. And today's the first day where you're thinking, I want to go to him and say help. I know that there's things that I'm trapped by that have attached themselves onto me. I know there are ways in which I've gotten myself stuck. And I want to reach up to him and say help today. Maybe you've received God's mercy many times before, many years ago, and you've been walking faithfully with him since. You still need God's mercy today. Because every onward step you take with Jesus is mercy. Every, then, every problem that you then encounter, every difficulty that you can't overcome, it's not like you then get out of it by your own strength. You get out of it by coming and saying, help again. You're better at this than I am, Jesus. You're more powerful, more able, more loving 
cleverer, kinder, better in every possible way. Come and help free me from this thing that I've got on myself attached to again. You don't become a follower of Jesus by being British, by turning up to church a certain number of times and ticking the box. You don't become a follower of Jesus by being nice every once in a while, by being generous when someone asks you to be, by being a little bit more respectable than the person next to you on your right and your left. All of those things are lies that we've been told. Becoming a follower of Jesus is saying, help. I'm in a mess. I'm stuck. I'm helpless and I need you. I can't get out of this pit myself. I can't get this off my neck on my own. Help. And one of the lies that so many people have been led to believe by our enemy is that as soon as we've said that once, we can go off on our own by ourselves. Yes, we might need to humble ourselves on one occasion and say, help Jesus. But as soon as we've got that, surely we then start to polish ourselves up. Our ingenuity grows, our cleverness goes through the roof. And from there onwards, of course, we can sort ourselves out. Every single step that you take with Jesus is mercy. Every single thing that you then go on to do with him is because of his grace and his kindness to you. Sure, I hope that by being in relationship with him, your character starts to change. That you let him work on different parts of your life. That you let him into more and more of who you are. And bit by bit, you start to look more like him. But all of that comes about why? Because of his mercy. Because of his kindness to show you another bit of himself. To give you another day's grace. To pour himself into your mess again and to pull you out of the next pit that you found yourself in. To all those who follow Jesus today, remember that everything you've done since you've known him is mercy. And what got you into this in the first place is his kindness. I can remember once going to a Christian festival and seeing this guy who was about the same age as me. And he had this relationship with God that I was a bit envious of, if I'm honest. He seemed to know God in a way that I didn't. And yet I knew a little bit about him and knew that really his life was a bit of a mess. He was making all sorts of decisions which weren't godly, you might say. And I watched him once, able to speak really powerfully to someone, prophetically, because he had this relationship with God where God would say things to him that he would pass on. And I could see that it really meant something for the person who he said this to. It wasn't just nice words, a pat on the back that any friend could have given. There was something of God in what was being said. But to be really honest with you, the feeling that came to me was a little bit like came to Jonah. I was annoyed. Because I was like, God, but he's not really living for you in the way that I think he should be. I'm doing better than he is, surely. My life's more morally upright. I'm not making the kind of mistakes that he's making and yet you're using him and I don't think you're doing that with me in quite the same way. What I'd done in that moment is basically said that my pride and my judgment is less serious and less toxic than whatever I thought was against this guy. What I hope I would now respond and how I look back on that is that I would be more merciful to say, well, I'm broken and I messed up maybe in different ways than this guy, sure. Maybe I'm not making the same mistakes that he is, but he's probably doing things that I'm not yet. And in this moment, I'm being prideful. I'm judging this guy for not doing the things that I think he should. 
and for being used by God anyway. God is so merciful that he will use anyone. He will forgive anyone who comes to him and says, help. And don't let's get caught in the trap of, once we've received it, looking down on those who are doing things slightly differently than us, who are broken in different ways than we are. I decided in that moment that my judgment wasn't so big a deal, right? But his moral failure, well, that's huge. God should shun that and run away quickly. But God, of course, says, both of you have gone astray. Both of you need my mercy in completely different ways. Both of you can come to me and receive from me. One of the final lessons that we see from Jonah and that I want to put before us as a challenge today is not to be those who constrict the mercy of God. Not to be those who say, well, you can receive it because you look like this, but actually you, for whatever reason, you're out. All the way through, this has been the question, who gets this free mercy from God? And Jonah's basically said, well, I deserve it and my people deserve it, but those people don't. And I don't want us to be those who fall into that same trap. Don't let's be those who put nice, neat boundaries about where God can work and where God can't work. Don't let's be those who say, well, you deserve it and you don't. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. All of us have turned away. And a second look from God is part of his grace. Let alone the chance to be in relationship with him, forgiven and freed now and forever. Don't let's be those who say you need to look like this to be part of our church or vote this way, think like this. You need to clean yourself up a bit. Don't come to us in your lowest ebb. Let's be the kind of church that welcomes anyone and says here amongst us is Jesus who gives us all mercy, who's shown us all incredible kindness, who's brought us all back from the brink. In John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Whoever, young or old, female or male, doing well, doing awfully, like us, not like us, from here, from over there, whoever comes to Jesus and enters through the gate that he is will be saved. The people that wind us up, the people that we really like, the people that we get, the people that we don't get. Everyone who comes to Jesus and enters through him will be saved. And as I was thinking about that image of Jesus as the gate, I realized that for so many Christians, we've taken our role to be the bouncer. We stand there looking smart just outside the gate. And as people come up to it, we look them up and down. We check whether they've got the dress code and whether they're meeting it. Are you the kind of clientele that we want in this establishment? We're going to decide for, for you whether you deserve to be here or not. Jesus doesn't need any bouncers at the gate. He's perfectly able on his own to receive through himself anyone that will come, to clean them up inside and out, and to send them full of his spirit to life in his kingdom. Don't be a bouncer at the gate of Jesus deciding who deserves to come through or not. Instead, what I think we should be is ushers, welcomers who stand near the gate and as soon as they can see someone any, heading vaguely in this direction to run to them and say, here you go. 
Here's the way. Welcome here. Jesus receives you through himself. I've been there myself before. Shall I take you with me? An usher who stands outside, who greets people warmly and says, you're welcome here just like I am. I entered through that gate myself. Come with me. I'll show you the way. So many people, I believe, in Bury and beyond see Christians a bit more like bouncers. I've got to get past them almost to get to God. Do not let us be those who put anything in the way of people coming to Jesus. People who need God's mercy just like we need it. Let's be those who usher people in, who spot them from away and journey with them towards the free, the undeserved, the brilliant mercy that Jesus offers for us all. Let's be those who say the gate's over there. His name is Jesus. I've been there myself. Let's go. There's a verse in 1 Timothy 2 which says that God longs for all to come to salvation. Every person that he's ever created, he longs that all of them would come to salvation. His mercy is as wide as every person. His invitation is as big as anyone who's ever lived, who will ever live here, all around the world, all through time. He wants them all to come to him. His mercy is big enough that it would extend over them all. And all they need do, and all we need do, if we want it to apply to us, is say, Jesus, help. I'm stuck with stuff around my neck. I'm in a pit I can't get out of. But I trust that you're more powerful, that you're more able, that your offer applies to me, that you love me, that you're rich in mercy, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. And you want to pull me up. You want to free me of all that's attached itself to me. And then you want to send me to usher other people this way too. God wants everyone to come to know him. He wants everyone to be saved, to know his freedom, to know his mercy, to know his kindness. And those who've tasted it first should be those who are putting the way to it, not holding other people back. As this Lent continues and as we look towards remembering Easter two weeks today, remember that God's mercy is for you. That there's nothing that you could have done which is beyond God's reach. There's nothing that you could ever do that would make you unworthy of God's kindness. That all you need to do to have it pour over you again today is say, help. And remember at the same time that God's mercy is for everybody else as well. That his offer is for all. That his mercy covers everyone. That even those who are furthest from God, by whatever metric you want to use, deserve his kindness in exactly the same way as you do. Today as we respond, I want to encourage you to receive God's mercy afresh. Maybe you know it already, and you have received it before, but just let it bask over you again. Stand in it. Be overwhelmed by it. That a perfect, holy, righteous God would show kindness to someone like me.
And if you've never received it before, if this is the first time you're hearing of a God who loves you enough to send Jesus to the cross, to die on your behalf that you could have life, then receive that for the first time today. All you need to say is, God, help. I'm stuck here in a mess I can't get out of on my own. Send Jesus to me now to free me from this now and forever. And maybe also like me with that guy who I couldn't believe that God was speaking to. Maybe there's an element of that in you today. Maybe there's a way in which you need your mind to be remolded to be more merciful so that you look on the world and those in it with more mercy than you did before. I want my mind to be remolded so that my natural disposition, the way I see everything is to be merciful, not judgmental. To know that I was there once and I am there all the time too. And that all that I've received from God is mercy. And all I want for others to receive from him is exactly the same. God is rich in mercy, full of compassion, slow to anger and abounding in love. And this Lent, having now worked our way through the whole of Jonah, my prayer for you is that you would receive and then extend the brilliant, the wonderful, the mind-bending mercy of God, that you would know it for yourself and extend it to others, that this church, this community and beyond would be changed by a people who say, I've entered through the gate that is Jesus. He showed me his mercy, though I didn't deserve a drop of it. And there's an ocean of it for you to swim in as well. How about it?